talk like you would talk to your friend, make it accessible, tell a story, and then connect that to policy. That's Senator Mallory McMurrow from Michigan's 13th District, talking about how she uses her own experience owning and driving an electric vehicle to bring awareness and attention to her fellow legislators. As a freshman in the Michigan Senate, Senator McMurrow is taking her career in automotive and putting it to work. From convening industry stakeholders and co-chairing the Michigan Automotive Caucus to her four-bill package introduced last year, she is truly a one-of-a-kind ambassador. Senator McMurrow joins me to talk about how she's helping to drive EV infrastructure and accessibility forward in Michigan through storytelling. Senator McMurrow, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So you're currently serving your first term in the Michigan Senate, and I'm looking forward to digging into some of the policy and legislation that you've been working on. But before that, let's talk about your background, because it's fascinating. It is unorthodox, to say the least. Uh, yeah, I am somebody who ran uh, for the first time in the 2018 cycle. Uh, I did not know when I launched my campaign in mid-2017 that it would turn into the year of the woman. Uh, but I'm really, really proud to have flipped a district and actually became the youngest woman ever elected to the Michigan Senate, which I did not know at the time, which was exciting. But uh, before that, I never, ever thought I would be in politics. So I started my career as an industrial designer. I interned for Mazda and started my career as a car designer and then found my way uh, to Mattel, where I was senior designer over global branding and licensing for Hot Wheels. Uh, and then into media and advertising. I was the creative director for Gawker Media uh, and then a creative director and partner in a production company back on the West Coast doing commercials and documentary films and all kinds of stuff before starting my own consultancy in Michigan. That's amazing. So I love that you have this this automotive background and it's really it's been in your blood from design through media and it's it's such an interesting background. So yeah, it was the, the the common thread that was sort of unexpected throughout my entire career. So there's always a a tinge of automotive uh, throughout everything. Even at Gawker, uh, I ran the first Jalopnik Film Festival. I rode for Road and Track for a little while. So there has always been the auto, no matter what I'm doing. Since you were elected, you've been serving as the co-chair for the Michigan Automotive Caucus. Can you tell me a little bit about it and what it hopes to achieve? Yeah, the Automotive Caucus is a bipartisan, bicameral caucus. So it's two Republicans and two Democrats uh, in the House and the Senate in the legislature. And the goal is to really think about legislation that is going to forward the automotive industry. We actually had a conversation at the beginning of the year uh, if we should change the name right now, right? Because thinking about what the auto industry has been historically has meant four wheels and you're going from point A to point B, but now it can be everything from autonomous vehicles to ride share to uh, just the way that, that people get around. So it's still the automotive caucus, but it is, you know, thinking about our signature industry here in Michigan and what the future of the auto industry looks like and how we support that legislatively. I love that. So I guess more more to come on whether or not the name of that changes. But from what it sounds like, there seems to be a lot of awareness building that this caucus is involved with in Lansing. Can you kind of talk about what the role of the caucus is in at the Capitol? 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things that uh, has been a real experience uh, throughout my first term is is uh, my grandma actually watches every single session and committee meeting. And I remember she asked me how you can possibly know that much about everything because you have to know about every single topic that we touch. But what you learn pretty quickly is you can't possibly know everything, but you have a colleague who does. So for me, you know, this is something where I have lived, slept and breathed the auto industry as, as long as I can remember and realizing that many people that I serve with haven't, but it's a critically important industry uh, for our state. So a lot of what we do, like any topic, is, is educating our colleagues on what happens in the industry, what could potentially happen in the industry. You know, I think there's sort of this uh, romantic idea that we could just flip a switch and we'll have autonomous vehicles tomorrow, which, you know, it's more complicated than that. So it's a lot of uh, tours, educational talks, and bringing our colleagues on board uh, so that we can have a more cohesive conversation about what we need to do policy-wise to, to keep going forward. I've also heard you talk in the past about the importance of this awareness building and raising more awareness about Michigan in general and its strength in the automotive industry, you know, outside of Lansing and outside the capital, perhaps outside the state. So why do you think this is so important? Yeah, I think this is absolutely critical to to our future as the state. I am somebody who's not originally from Michigan. I chose Michigan uh, as my adopted home state after living in five different states. And I think what you realize is that people within Michigan, and this is one of the things that that I really leaned on when I was running, I looked at this place as an outsider, as Michigan is a place with the potential to change the world. We created the auto industry. We built the middle class. People flocked here from all around the world for opportunity, and we revolutionized industrial design and manufacturing. And you just look around at architecture and the cars that have come out of here, and it is endlessly inspiring to me. Uh, but I think that that perspective is sometimes lost on people who have lived here their entire lives, and they don't have that outside perspective on what Michigan means to the world. Um, but then on the other side, you know, as I have traveled and, and lived other places and continue to travel for conferences now, I think there is a perception to outsiders that Michigan's innovation kind of stopped um, with the assembly line, you know, that the traditional auto industry building trucks and cars and traditional manufacturing is kind of where innovation ended. Um, and I think that it's on us to really change that perception to show people that Michigan is incredibly innovative. We have more industrial designers and engineers, uh, you know, than any other state in the country. And people are working on AI and, you know, food tech and all kinds of different startups. And we have, you know, a growing VC presence here in Michigan. So it's, you know, I, I think reminding the people that I work with that Michigan does have the ability to change the world and we should step up to do that. Uh, and then educating outsiders that this is a place where you should come and invest and move and make a life and, and come here to change the world. It's, it's interesting. On a different episode of this series, I talk with Carla Bello from the Center of Automotive Research, and she talks a lot about this 
perception and awareness campaign around talent, which is kind of what you talked about. Like, this is a really high tech industry um, and we're doing really cool things here. I think she talks about like, how do we bring back the sexy factor um, to the automotive industry and, you know, more broadly, the mobility industry? And how do we kind of set Michigan up to be kind of the leader in that space? Um, and, and I've always thought that, you know, that's, that's a great campaign as an industry. Do you think that that's something that, that the industry could get behind? I hope so. And we, we have in the past, you know, you look at events like Futurama, which, you know, was, yes, it was an auto show, but it was a glimpse into the future. And it was all of these crazy concepts and, you know, it was not dissimilar to the world's fair. And it's something that I've always thought about and, you know, industrial design firms, do this really well is you have to imagine a future first and you know it's it's really sci-fi until you create it and you make it real and i think there's a tremendous opportunity you know as we look at you know the detroit auto show coming back hopefully next year when we're past covid in the summer can that show take on a new life can it be like a futurama again can we start to get creative and imagine a future that isn't just about what's on the market now. And yes, there are concept cars, but go even further. I mean, how are we going to get around? How are we going to communicate with each other? Is it going to look like, um, you know, flying cars and the Jetsons, or is it going to look like something totally different that we haven't even thought of yet? And I, I think there's an opportunity for us to do that, but it also means investing in our communities to make sure that the talent who stays here um, is excited about this place. And I think you see, you know, we have young people leaving the state. Unfortunately, we just had Rivian announce that they were relocating most of their, their creative talent um, out to California. And I think Michigan really has to lean in on this perception that we are innovative and cutting edge um, and investing in people and places to be on the front line of that conversation. Yeah, I agree. That's that's so important, and that that Rivian news definitely was was a big blow. I feel like to the morale um, of what we were building in this in in the region, and how much we were trying to stand up and and kind of create this this hype around an industry, and then to have them leave was was pretty sad. Um, so. You know, switching gears here a little bit. So back in February, you convened a group of automotive industry leaders to discuss the future of EV. Um, who did you bring together and, and what was that meeting all about? Yeah, so we had a cross section that actually included Rivian and myself uh, and Glenn Stevens from Mish Auto uh, and a representative from EIBC as well um, from kind of the energy innovation side to talk about what EV means in Michigan. And, you know, this is another area where this is our core competency. It's our core industry. Um, but the industry is changing. And what the conversation was about was the need for us to lean in and invest in that change. Because if we don't, you know, my fear is that not only are we losing out to places like California, but to China as well, who has been investing incredibly heavily in EV infrastructure and development. Um, and, you know, we, we know what we know and we know how to do what we do really, really well. Nobody makes a better truck or SUV than we do, uh, but we have to do both. And, you know, if we don't, my fear is that we get left behind and that innovation happens elsewhere. 
So I think part of part of your plan there is this four bill package that you introduced last summer, right? Yep, absolutely. So there was a bipartisan, two Democrats, two Republicans. There's a theme. I like things to be bipartisan. Uh, introduced a package uh, really around expanding Michigan's EV charging infrastructure uh, because we're starting to see, you know, more and more options come on the market for vehicles, uh, particularly out of our automakers. But it's this catch-22 of if you can't get to where you want to go, is it going to be an option even if the price is now affordable on the vehicle? So uh, it's a plan to kind of help the adoption accelerate. So it wouldn't necessarily be the government installing all of these chargers, um, but it would be convening an EV infrastructure council to better study uh, where chargers need to be placed around the state. We kind of have a map that already exists uh, that shows where chargers are, but as somebody who owns an EV and almost exclusively charged on public infrastructure for the first year of ownership, I can tell you that the day-to-day -day use is a struggle when you find a charger that is broken or the company that built it went out of business or there is a Jeep sitting there and you can't get into it or um, it's mismarked. You know, One of the things that I found was in PlugShare, which is a user-generated app that kind of shows you where the chargers are, that it took me to a field and there was no charger there, there was no building there. So I think really better understanding from a user experience standpoint, where people are going and where chargers need to be placed so that when you have private companies who are looking to come in and invest in building that infrastructure, they're set up to succeed. Because I think the worst case scenario is you have a company um, expend capital to build a charger that fails and gets removed at some point. Uh, another bill in the package would allow for all of our state parks to lease out a space in the park and put in an EV charger. And just from a tourism standpoint, uh, you could see how we could market uh, pure Michigan EV driving, you know, pick up a an electric vehicle. You could rent it. You could borrow it and drive it through all of our beautiful state parks would be uh, incredible. There was a similar bill for park and rides to allow the state to lease out the space uh, to a charger. Um, and then an incentive bill to encourage particularly small businesses and multifamily dwellings. There are some really great um, incentive programs out there that consumers and DTE um, have launched for larger businesses like Meyer. But if you are a restaurant right off the side of the highway, for example, in, in a smaller town, you could quite literally drive business to your location if you got a grant um, or a tax credit to be able to install a charger at your location. Uh, or if you are somebody who lives in an apartment, that's one of the things that we heard all the time is particularly from young people, there's an interest in driving an electric vehicle. But if you don't own a house, it's really hard to install a charger if there isn't one in your apartment building. So there was a lot in there, but our hope was that it just was the kickstart that we would need to get the infrastructure to a place where um, you know, my belief is if you build it, they will come. So in your experience, do you think that, you know, there's been a lot of education that's needed to happen in Lansing to kind of help understand what the struggles are? And then I guess, you know, you talked about owning an EV. Are you able to use your own struggles as kind of a narrative of why this is so important? Yeah, that's exactly what I've been trying to do. So I knew this was an issue that I wanted to work on uh, before even getting to the legislature. So 
uh, I was looking for a new car and decided that I was going to go in and get a Bolt. So the Bolt is fully electric. It's not a hybrid. So there's no gas backup engine. And for the first year that we owned it, uh, I didn't actually have a level two charger installed in my garage. So I'm probably the extreme case because it takes me an hour and a half to drive from my house to Lansing. So it's 86 miles one way and 86 miles back. So I'm really maxing out the limit of that car. Um, but you know, it, it was a good experience in understanding what it would be like for somebody to consider a car, um, that was an EV who maybe didn't have a charger at home. And I could take those experiences and tell people from a, a real story standpoint, not by data or graphs, uh, what this was like and what some of the challenges were. And I think that for a lot of people in Lansing, you know, this is still relatively new. And especially as we are facing COVID-19 and we're facing the budget shortfall and uh, how, how do we get the economy back on track? I mean, even last year, it just felt like this bill package wasn't a priority because it's still something that is on the edge of most people's experience. So my whole goal is by sharing my own story, which is, you know, a story that that many other people experience and would experience if they were to get an EV, we could show why this is important um, for for our state and for our industry uh, and for the environment. So much of your background is center at, centered around communications and media. Do you think that plays a big role in in what you do in Lansing? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that it's something when I, I started even running for office, I was nervous because I was new. This was new to me. I had never run for office before. And, you know, I was wondering, like, how do you run a campaign and put it together? What if I don't know every single policy inside and out? And I realized pretty quickly that running a campaign is all about communications and getting a story out and our videos and the way we communicated was very, very different than most other people running. And we've carried that into the way that we run the office as well. Um, one of the things that I learned at a place like Gawker is, you know, write the way that people talk to each other at a bar. Don't write in a way that's academic and is over people's heads. And I think that's especially true for politics because politics feels elitist and it feels like something that people do in you know a closed off room far away from you and doesn't feel accessible to most people uh, especially in this hyper polarized climate so you know I think it's really important you know talk like you would talk to your friend make it accessible tell a story and then connect that to policy I love that so you know thinking about your background and thinking about you know the last year in Lansing and, and everything that you've experienced and everything you've uh, struggled with with having an EV, what do you think that secret sauce is um, for EV adoption? What will really help drive the adoption, drive the the trust and the um, the acceptance, I guess, of, of the technology into consumers? Yeah, I think a lot of that is is everything coming together at once. It is the availability of products on the market, and we are seeing that uptick now. You know, you can get a luxury vehicle if you want one. You can get a crossover if you want one. Jeep has committed to all of their products moving forward to be hybrids or EVs. So I think we're going to see that variety that people want hitting the market, but it's also the infrastructure. Uh, you know, you can imagine how challenging it would be if in your regular 
ICE internal combustion engine car, there were no gas stations around. <laughs> it would make it really challenging to get anywhere. And even if most people don't max out the range of a vehicle, it's it's that sense of wanting to know that you could. You want to know that you could drive up north um, uh, to get away for a long weekend on the spur of the moment. Uh, so I think having the infrastructure there is important too, but also just experiencing it. I think when most people that I've talked to who have driven an EV and spent any time with it, they can't imagine going back. Um, it's, it's easy. It's quiet, especially, you know, my car comes with one foot driving. And once you get used to that, you can't imagine going back to driving any other way. Um, so I think that's an opportunity where maybe we rethink what auto shows are like, and maybe there are more drive programs and maybe that can be something that, um, the dealers and the automakers do in a way that is fun, or can that be, you know, unique partnerships if you're thinking about, um, something like our, our parks bill, where there is like an EV tourism program that you could be a part of just to get more people experiencing them and feeling comfortable making that jump. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Mobility, Decoding the Secret Sauce. I'm Caitlin Davis, Director at Lambert & Company, a nationally ranked top five automotive and transportation public relations firm. We know the success of mobility, whether it's autonomous, electric, aerial, or public transit, will truly lie in public perception and acceptance. Without high adoption rates, even the best mobility platforms and technologies will fail to reach their full potential. Between strategic communications, public relations, integrated marketing and investor relations, Lambert is here to help you drive results and help you change the way the world moves. Learn more about us at lambert.com.